grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from his Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of the Lord to which I direct your attention was that which served as our first scripture lesson for today, or second scripture lesson for today, taken from Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. And we are now completing our series of sermons on finding joy in the book of Philippians. But this morning I want to start out by sharing with you an event that happened in 2003. There was a couple in Wisconsin who had won the Powerball lottery. Seven million dollars. And they were asked by a reporter, what do you have to say after winning such a large sum of money? The response, we wish we had won last week when it was $40 Do you sense any joy or contentment in their response? In fact... Um, because they had no contentment, they lost their joy, didn't they? And I think you would experience in your own life, or if you look back at your experiences in life, you would realize that when you are discontent, when you are dissatisfied, you're not happy. And so if there is no contentment in your life, then there is also no joy in your life. For example, you may remember a time when you were younger and you had a birthday party and you were all excited. You went back to school and you told your friends about everything that went on and what you did and what you received. And then one of your friends said, well, you know, on my birthday we did X, Y, and Z. They had better treats. They had more extravagant entertainment. And he or she received bigger gifts. And perhaps you experienced your sweet joy then turning into sour envy. Where there's no contentment, there is no joy. And so in our lesson this morning, it may seem to us that Paul's contentment in life was directly linked to the level of his income, to the level of his prosperity. He said, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. So rejoice greatly at the gifts you sent. Now, from this, you might assume that, again, Paul's joy was linked to his physical circumstances, whether or not he had plenty in his life. But to assume that would be completely wrong. Because between those two verses, Paul explains, he says, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So Paul's contentment in life did not flow from the level of his possessions or his income, did it? So where did it come from? Well, first we have to understand what contentment is. Contentment 
is having a feeling of fullness. That you have enough. You know, it's the feeling you get after Thanksgiving dinner, right? I'm full. I want nothing more. I don't even want to eat. I don't want to eat for a day, right? That's how you might feel. I'm completely satisfied. So what is it that made Paul feel completely satisfied? He tells us, I have learned the secret of being content in every situation. So Paul knew a secret. A secret is something that is a type of knowledge that we do not naturally come by, that we're not born with. It's a knowledge that must be revealed and imparted to us. Some of you may know uh, Mahatma Buddha, right? Mahatma Buddha. He founded a religion, Buddhism. You know what his secret to contentment is? Empty yourself of desire. If you desire nothing, you will want nothing, and therefore you can be content. What do you think? When your stomach is empty and growling, is it easy to be content? Can you want nothing in that moment? If you're shivering out in the cold, can you want nothing at that moment? No. And he's called the enlightened one, right? But Paul received from the Lord the secret to being content. And he reveals it to us. He says, I can do all things through him that is God who strengthens me. And so contentment comes from being filled with God and being filled by God in our lives. And there are some things that Paul goes on to share with us about our God. Some knowledge that we need to be filled up with about our God. And here it is. God has characteristics, right? He owns everything because he is the maker of everything in heaven and on earth. Our God is eternal. It means that our God is going nowhere. He's here with you today. He will be with you tomorrow. And God is present everywhere. And ultimately, God loves you. So put all that together, that secret knowledge about God, and suddenly your fears evaporate and you have the basis for contentment. If God loved you so much to give up his only son as payment for all of your sins, is he going to hold back anything else from you and for you? So, for example, if someone is willing to donate a million dollars for you to have a special life-saving surgery, do you think you could go and ask them for two bucks for a toothbrush? Our God gave up his only son for you and for me. Do you think he's going to hold back every or any other little thing that we have need of? Certainly not. And he's aware of everything you need 
and I need. And as the owner of everything, God has the whole universe at his disposal, and if that's not enough, he can make more. Kids, I got a question for you this morning. Let's say if you're a kid or if you're a teen. Um, if your parents were the winners of a $40 million Powerball lottery, would you like it if they gave to you $1 million of that $40 million to do with as you pleased? No strings attached. Would you like that? $1 million dollars, here you go. I see some kids smiling and nodding. Yeah, they're, they're making their list of things they would go out and buy right now. Parents, if you had the $40 million, would you give a million dollars to your children right now, no strings attached? I see some heads shaking, right? No, no, no. <laughs> because you're not, your kids are not equipped for that, right? And so isn't that the same reason why the Lord gives us our daily bread? He gives us our paychecks $1,000 at a time, right? $1,500 at a time. And you and I can be confident that there's more where that came from because God isn't going anywhere, nor is his love for you, nor is his love for me. And so if someone has more than you and I have, we can be content with that because God owns everything and he'll keep giving me what I need. He will continue to give you what you need. And therein lies contentment, right? You're filled up with trust that God loves you and that God will exercise his power and love to care for your needs no matter how much you have at the present time. That's why Paul could be content whether he was in need or he had plenty, whether he was well-fed or hungry. Because he had a rich father in heaven who would continue to give out of his riches to his daily needs. That's the first part of the secret to contentment. But there remains another part to it. Listen carefully as I read for you three portions of our text. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. He's referring to the Philippians. And then later on he says, Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And then lastly, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Did you see a common connection in those three segments from our text? Paul is focusing outside of himself, isn't he? He's looking at the expressions of love that the gifts he received from the Philippians were giving to God, right? He saw that their gifts were an expression of their love for God. And then at the end he goes on and he says that he was delighted that God was being glorified through the Philippians and through him. To God be the glory. If you look at the word contentment, do you see an I in there? There's no I in contentment. True contentment is an outward focus. It doesn't focus inward because it realizes that there's 
nothing that we need to do for ourselves anymore in life. We Lutherans have a core doctrine, right? And that is, we are saved by grace through faith. Right? Good works can't save you. Have you ever wondered why that is? Why can't your good works save you? Because if you're trying to do something in order to get God's favor for yourself, then who are you serving? Yourself. And whatever serves self instead of God is sin. Do you realize that? Whatever serves self instead of God is sin. That's why you can't save yourself. Every effort to save yourself is sin. And so what Paul had experienced through the love and grace of God was freedom from the slavery to the service of self. And so have you. There's nothing you need to do to make God love you because he already does. There's nothing that remains for you to accomplish in order to have a home in heaven because in Christ, God already gave it to you. What more do you need? Nothing. So that means that your life and my life, because we've been, all our needs have been fully met, can be aimed outside of us, right? By serving God and serving others. That's why Paul could find contentment even when he was in prison, even when he was poor, even when he was hungry, because he knew God already loved him, he already had a place in heaven, and he could focus his life on honoring God by serving others. And you can do that even if you're poor, you can do that even if you're in prison, you can do that even if you're hungry, right? You still do all those things. The secret to contentment. So what are both parts of the secret to contentment? First of all, trusting in God's love and power to take care of you, and then seeking the glory of God and the good of others. And when you have that, and when you're doing that, you have joy, right? Yesterday, the day before, many of you, and even last weekend, were here spending your weekend digging in dirt, wiping up dirty walls, painting, moving furniture back and forth. Was it for you? Did you find joy in it? He did because it wasn't for you, right? It was for your Savior, and it was for others. Because you were content with what you already had in your life, right? Maybe you had dishes to do at home, but that's okay. Right? You're content with the dirty dishes because you wanted to serve Christ and others. And so when I think of that couple in Wisconsin who had won the $7 million lottery and still they weren't satisfied with that, they weren't content with that. I'm reminded of our situation as Christians. When you think about it, we are the greatest lottery winners in history. 
Recall what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians in Ephesus. He said, God chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. You're here today with faith in Jesus Christ in your heart. You have a home in heaven and you have the love of God that surrounds you because God chose you, not because you picked him. He picked your number. It makes you a wonderful winner, right? So brothers and sisters, I will leave you today with these words from this chapter in Philippians. Early in chapter 4, verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Amen.